0: you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What a wonderful day we had yesterday, and what a wonderful morning we're having today, as we are singing and enjoying our Lord in in time of worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are walking through this letter that the apostle has given us and so we found ourselves in the last uh few weeks kind of a series inside of a series if you will um as we have been walking through this systematically we've now come to chapter 7 where paul is answering questions that were asked to him in a letter and so we saw that in in chapter 7 and then it'll be the rest of the way Chapter 8, a new question was asked on this issue about the meat being offered to idols. Is it okay to eat the meat? And we've entitled this kind of, this series, the side of a series, How to Navigate the Gray Areas. And so today will be part three of this, How to Navigate the Gray Areas, Paul's example. And so you're going to see that this morning, that Paul is going to use his life as an example of how you and I, within the local church... Are to deal with issues that are questionable, that are not really sinful in and of themselves. But how, how do we deal with those types of things? How do we do things we may disagree over? And so we find here in the Church of Corinth that there were those who were divided over this practice of eating meat. Uh, there were those who said they had Christian liberty and Christian freedom, and so they were using that freedom to eat meat, sacrifice to idols. But they may have been abusing it more than just using it. Um, They offended the weaker Christians, and so there rose up a dispute. And so there in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul's dealing with this. And we get application, which has a far more deeper issue than just, is it okay to eat meat? It is application for what should be our guidelines and our actions regarding Christian liberty. What are our guidelines regarding Christian freedom? And so we've looked at this over the last two weeks. We've learned some very important principles. And if you've missed that, you can go back to our Facebook page, you can go back to our uh, our website, or even get the church uh, app on your smartphone, and you can go back and see that. But today's passage of Scripture will seem as though Paul is moving away. It's going to seem as though Paul is going to have a different topic, as though he's moving on to a new section of teaching, but that is not the case. At the end of chapter 8, the Apostle Paul makes a very grand statement. We'll look at it in just a minute. But he makes a very grand statement. He sets himself up as, as an example. If, if, that that if, if me eating meat will hurt other individuals, he says, then look, I won't, I won't do it. And so what we find here is in chapter 9, Paul will set himself up as the example. And it is an example of self-denial, self-sacrifice for the the corporate church for the local body and the glory of christ himself so chapter nine follows with paul using his denial of payment for preaching uh his of payment for preaching as an example to be followed within the church and so you're gonna see three things this morning i want you to see paul's rights paul's refusal And then I want you to see Paul's reasons. So his rights, his refusal, and his reasons. All right, let's read this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and to drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any, ex- who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends to flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for the sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Mark Twain once wrote, He said, there are a few things harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. The annoyance of a good example. I don't know about you, but does it it not annoy you when someone puts their their money where their mouth is and they actually succeed at it, right? You know, where's those things where you say, well, that's... That, you know, we can't do that, that's too hard. And someone says, well, well, I can do it, and they do it, and they, they are an example that it is something to be followed. And it may be a little bit of an annoyance to us. Well, Paul is probably being an annoyance here in, to the people of Corinth. Admit it, beloved. It is hard to argue with someone who walks the talk. That, that, that what they are proclaiming and what they are preaching... You know, It's really kind of hard, hard to argue when they themselves are, are sacrificing or denying themselves and they are walking that which they are talking. And so the actions here uh, we find need to mimic our speech. Well, the Apostle Paul taught in the previous chapter that if they were going to solve the disunity... There in the church of Corinth, over this issue of eating meat. Now remember, these are those gray areas. We're not talking about those things that are black and white. Those things where God says, thou shalt or thou shalt not. These are those things like, is it okay? You know, I gave you the examples. Is dancing okay? Getting tattoos? You know, all of those little topics that we've argued about for all those years of yes or no and all that kind of stuff. Right? You, you know, we see, we've seen it in, in 2020, all the little things that rose up and caused division because we were of different opinions, opinions. These are those gray areas. And so the Apostle Paul had an answer for the church between the stronger and the weaker of how they were to solve their problem. And we saw it there at the end of chapter eight, where Paul says that the weaker brethren, though they may be right in knowledge, they need to be right in love, and they need to sacrifice and deny themselves their privileges, their rights, their their their, their status within the church or whatever that they may that they may be able to lift up the younger brothers. So, so here we see in chapter. Eight, verse 13, Paul said this, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So Paul sets himself up as an example of denying oneself for the church. Chapter 9 is Paul, as I said, putting his money where his mouth is. Paul is going to walk that which he has taught. And so there in verse 1 down to verse 14. Fourteen, Paul declares in these verses his right to be compensated. Paul's right to be paid for his preaching. To be made, to make a living as a minister. Now I want to take you back for just a moment, just for a second here, back to chapter 8. Do you remember what the argument was? The stronger believers? We, we can eat meat, we're free to eat this meat. The meat's not raw, right? And you remember what they said? We all have what? We all have knowledge. They said, we have knowledge, Paul. We're right. I know that I am right. They are wrong. So here in these 14 verses, the Apostle Paul does what only the Apostle Paul can. is where he looks at you and me and he goes, oh, you think you have knowledge? Let me show you knowledge. And in these 14 verses, the Apostle Paul is going to lay down the knowledge of his right. He's going to lay down the knowledge of of him being worthy of receiving payment as an apostle and a minister. That he deserves a living for which he does. All that he may set up an example of denying it all. For the gospel, but before I dive into this, let me make a side note. Let me chase a very quick rabbit. If you remember back in chapter four of, of Corinthians, there were those who had some issues with Paul's apostleship. There was also a division between those you know, who was their favorite pastors, right? You, you, you remember that in the beginning. Well, they, they questioned his apostleship. They questioned his leadership. Well, in these fourteen verses, he also gives knowledge and evidence proving his apostleship as well and rebuking his attack, attackers, and not to mention laying a foundation for future minister to be compensated for their work there at the church. And so in this chapter, in chapter 9, you really have kind of three birds, you know, th- three birds, one stone kind of thing. And, and so where we look at his defense for his apostleship, we look at the issue of, of ministry, being able to deserve uh, uh, payment, compensation for them making a living, But beloved, may I say to you this morning, that is not the context that we are in. Those are valuable points and valuable truths that we need to know, and we need to understand. But this morning, our concern is with what Paul, is the reason for this chapter. And the reason for this chapter is, is Paul is going to set himself up as an example of self-sacrifice. So notice the evidence with me this morning. Notice this knowledge that Paul lays down. Notice in verses 1 through 5 that he talks about his apostolic evidence. Paul says, notice that he says, says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the work in the Lord? He even says, you are the seal of my apostleship. You see, Paul is making it very clear in these first five verses that he fits the criteria for an apostle. Paul has seen the risen Christ. He he experienced him, as we read this morning, on the Damascus Road. Jesus came to him, kicked him off his horse, and basically told him, said, Paul, you're going to be my vessel, my servant, who's going to suffer for the gospel. So Paul has seen Jesus. He's been called to be a a preacher. He's been called to be a missionary. Not not to mention, he says, Corinth, you are a testimony of my apostleship. I came to Corinth. I worked. I worked. I served a church was planted a church was built and and very likely there may have even been miracles and things and so if anyone questioned the apostle Paul all they needed to do was go to Corinth and realize that this church is in the work of an apostle and so he says if I am an apostle do I not deserve to be treated like the other apostles to take on a wife have children to be compensated for my ministry and by the way, he doesn't mean just have a wife. He means that not only that I have a wife, and not only do I have a children, that the church would then not only take care of him, but they would take care of the, 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 the children and the wife as well. And so Paul, notice he's using rhetorical questions throughout this chapter. So he makes this very point. He says, I am an apostle. Therefore, I have I have apostolic evidence that I should be compensated for my work. But also look at verses 6 and 7. He then gives us his workers' evidence. Paul presents the evidence of three workers. A soldier... A farmer and a shepherd. The soldier, he says, serves at his own expense. The farmer plants at his own expense. The shepherd shepherds and cares for the flock and he doesn't take anything from. He says, does that make sense? No, none of you here would go to work and work for free. None of you in here would do that. And Paul says, well, neither should the minister. That in the same way, he gives the, the soldier... He gives the farmer and the shepherd. So a minister is no different. He is a soldier who protects the people of God. The preacher, the pastor is one who is God. It's called to care for the flock. To, to protect them from the false teaching and the false gospels out there. To protect them from, from, from sin. To show them to be their watchmen. We understand that the preacher is also a farmer. One who plants and sows the seed of the gospel. And even working to water and to, and to reap a harvest there we see as a pastor. But we also see that he's a shepherd and that he cares for the flock. So Paul says, I'm an apostle, but I'm also a worker. We have two pieces of evidence. Look on now verses 8 and 12. He says there in verse 8, am I not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or, Or according to human judgment, am I? In other words, is this just common sense, the worker part? Or is it more than just common sense? He says, or does the law not also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? Do you remember that wonderful passage there in, on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. Has God not taken care of them? Has God not fed the birds? Has God not fed the, or, or dressed the lilies? And if God has taken care of them, will he not take care of you who are more precious than they? And Paul looks to the Old Testament law and he says that there in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, he quotes about the ox. He says, if the ox gets to eat the fruit of his labor, if he gets to eat while he's threshing, so he doesn't doesn't lose his strength so that he can, can keep on, he says, then should we not gain from that principle that the minister himself, that the law would direct a church to pay and compensate their pastors, that they should reap material compensation for their spiritual work? Yes. So we have Old Testament evidence. Verse 12, we have the evidence of greater to the weaker. Notice what he says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Well, who is he talking about? Do you not remember back early? There was Apollos, there was Peter, there were these other preachers who had come and they were preaching. And, but Paul said, I am your father in the faith. If you cared for them, should you not care for me, the one who founded the church? Should you, not been, should you not have cared for me, the one who is your spiritual father? Paul says, yes. I am the greater of them. I'm the one who founded the church. I'm the one who, is watching, who, who, who did all the work. They built off my work. Then verse 13, he gives a priestly evidence. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? Again, he goes back to the Old Testament Scripture where he, where he shows that God mandated that the priests were to be taken care of as the spiritual leaders of Israel. Were they not compensated? Yes. And Paul is making the argument, am I not like a spiritual priest for you, Corinth? He was. Therefore, should he not share in the material blessings? And then you got verse 14 that I call the red letter evidence. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. In other words, we have the evidence of Jesus Christ, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, who said in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Or in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, the worker is worthy of his support. The statement is very, ev- is very evidence, beloved, that Paul is saying, if Christ himself said that the worker is worth his wages, then do I, the apostle, do I, the pastor, do I, your, 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 your spiritual founder and father, do I not have the right to eat and to drink? And according to Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says, I do. There are six evidences here. Paul lays them all down to set up this great knowledge that he was to be compensated for his work at Corinth. He hammers them with the knowledge that he deserves the right to be paid. There's no denying it. There's no arguing it. there, 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 There is nothing that they can do to come against him and say to him that there were those who loved Paul, who were willing to pay Paul, but there were those in that place they could not stand Paul. And he lays out a biblical argument. Why? Why does he do this? Why does Paul go to such length here? Why does Paul go go, go to such depth here to give us an extensive argument for the reason why he deserves a payment? The answer? To provide to them a powerful example of self-denial. If anything, the Apostle Paul was even dare we say, shaming some of them? We've seen that already, right? You see the rhetorical questions. There's 15 or 16 rhetorical questions here. And many of them are going to, they're kind of a punch in the gut to some of these people who were coming against him. But he is setting up this powerful example here. Why? Because they were complaining about eating meat. You're complaining about whether it's okay or not okay to eat a pork chop. There are greater examples, there are greater arguments, there are greater topics, there are greater issues of our day that need our time, that that we are called to deny ourselves and you can't get over not eating meat for just a season in your life that you may be able to disciple, that you may be able to love and have unity within the church. Meat, Paul is saying, is such a puny thing to get worked up over. And so here he is informing them that he himself has denied him something far greater than meat. So let me make a point of application here. And this is something that I really struggle with all week. of What application, Paul, am I getting from this grand knowledge? What am I getting from this grand resume, Paul? Paul, you deserve to be paid. You didn't get paid. We'll we'll get to the reason why. But what is the application? And here's what I come up with, blood. Here's what I believe. That no one is exempt from self-denial, no matter how good your resume is. So let me say it again. No one is exempt from self-denial, no matter how good your resume is. No one in this place, in this body, in this local church, is above self-sacrifice. No one in this place, no one sitting in these pews, no one who's on the list of the the membership role, who's in the Sunday school classes, no one who stands behind this pulpit is exempt from self-sacrifice of liberties and comforts and pleasures for the spiritual well-being of the church, for the glory of Christ. You may think that you are. You may think that you are, that it's actually that in this discussion or in this argument or, or this difference of opinion that you have with somebody within the local church, that it is they who need to deny themselves so that I may win, that I may get my way. And so you think that it's the other side that need to deny, need to sacrifice and lay down their arm. But Paul is saying to us, not one of us in here is exempt from that. You give lots of money to the church. And so therefore, you think it affords you a certain right and certain privilege within the church. That you are to have a certain certain bit of, of wealth or, or worth and value in what you say. And so therefore, if you give so much to the church, you know, those who don't give as much as me should be the ones to lay down their arms and deny themselves. No. You are not exempt from self-sacrifice and self-denial. You are, have been called in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to rid yourself of all sin or anything that would entangle you that would hinder the church or your own spiritual growth and your own sanctification beloved. love. You are not exempt from serving and denying yourself for the betterment of others within this local body. You may think that for years of church service and work, You served in this local church for years. You've given everything you've got. And so now is the time of spiritual retirement. I'm going to sit back, man, and everybody else is going to serve. And I'm just going to, you know, give a few pointers here and there. And so you think that it gives you certain rights and privileges to get your way. It does not. You are not exempt to serve in the local church, to get your hands dirty no matter how long you've already served. You're not exempt to not get your way. You're not exempt from actually humbling yourself so that others may grow. You may think your status in the community owes you the privilege of leadership within the church. That, that all, you may think all that you do out in the community and all your work, you may think I have so much. I do so much other things. I am exempt. I am exempt from working and serving in the local church because I do so much everywhere else. No. You've covenanted with the church. You've covenanted with the body. These are your brothers and these are your sisters in the faith. And so, beloved, the apostle Paul sets himself up as a grand example here to show us that as long as he, the list of resumes, the knowledge that he has, we would think that if there was any man who was worthy enough to say, I'm not laying my rights down. I'm not, I am not giving in on this. It would be him. And just in case you want to push it a little further, and, and we don't have time this morning, but if you wanted to flip over to Philippians chapter 2, you come to where the Apostle Paul writes of this man by the name of Jesus Christ who sits on a throne in heaven. The, he, God. He's God who gives up everything to take on flesh, to die on a cross and deny Himself for your salvation. The the, the Apostle Paul, beloved, tells us and shows us here that there is not one person in the local body who is somehow exempt from humility and self-sacrifice and self-denial. Will it cost you? Yes. Will it be an inconvenience to you at times? Yes. Yes. Will it, will it deprive you of comforts and pleasures? Yes, but you are not exempt. None of us are. It amazes me, beloved, that we think. We think of ourselves. We picture ourselves in heaven, you know, where we see in Scripture the issue of the crown and the jewels that we've earned in heaven. And somehow we honestly believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to lay all that down willingly. And yet, but you can't seem to give up wanting to eat meat. Something so puny. And something, you can't seem to not get our way. Oh, beloved, Paul calls us to self-denial. But notice Paul's refusal. Notice why he refuses his right. Not really why, but let's look at the how. Look at verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things. So here we find Paul's refusal to take compensation, which was costly. It was costly. How costly was this? How how costly is it for a man who works as hard and as much as the apostle Paul not to get compensated? Well, First Thessalonians chapter two verse nine, he says, "Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel, to uh, preach the gospel of God to you." So the Greek words there is toil and hardships, which indicate a great labor. A great intensive labor that brings about great difficulty and distress. So, so here's, here's an important truth. Okay, The refusal of Paul's right to, to not be compensated, beloved, brought forth on Paul's life a labor and a toil. A, a, a hardship and, 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 and difficulty. He, it was hard. Paul had to go make tents. He had to work long hours in the night after working long hours in the day. He had to, it, it probably took away, robbed him of time to sleep and times of comfort. It probably, where he tells us in Philippians, that he had to go at times with, without eating, right? He went without. So we see the refusal of one's, of one's freedom, beloved, can be costly. And yet, what does he do? Notice what he says. But we endured all things. In other words, Paul said, I persisted. It was not always good. It was not always easy. It was not, all, it was not always comfort and pleasure. It was, all, it was a hard task, but I persisted in it. I shouldered the difficulty and I kept preaching the gospel day after day after day. Beloved, this, th- this is amazing when you begin to think. it. if you've ever wondered about people who give up their freedoms and their things to, to do ministry... Um, Man, go read the biography of John Wesley. Go, go read go read biography of John Calvin and Martin Luther. Go, go read the, the, these great men. I think it was John Wesley, though, who I think preached. They averaged it up for 30 years of his life. And I may be wrong on this, but, but it was like three sermons a day. Three sermons a day. Do you know how much he had to deny himself and the toil that brought upon his body? You think of Charles Spurgeon, you think of others, of the toil of their labor brought upon their physical body. Paul was no different. But notice the word endure, though, because not only does it show us that Paul persisted in this, that he was, that he was willing to, to lay down his freedoms for the betterment of the church and the gospel, it indicates also how he persisted. He did so humbly. The Greek word for endure is the word stego, meaning to conceal or even contain. This, is probably the, this was probably somewhere in the list of, of uh, tubbleware back in the day. I remember. I remember Melanie's uh, grandma. She used to do Tupperware, right? We have Tupperware everywhere. You know, you got the tight lid that seals it right. You know, so you put something in the Tupperware and you seal the lid. And you can flip it upside down, and, and nothing comes out. Nothing leaks. It's airtight. You know, that's what this is. It, it means that it is it is contained to the point that it will not leak. This means that Paul kept his struggles sealed and contained. In other words, Paul did not go around telling everybody, Hey, um, the reason why the church is doing so well is because, well, I'm not getting paid. You know that, right? Hey, brothers, sisters, you know, I did this for you, right? I I want you to know that that my sacrifice was for you. Uh, Hey, you over there, in case you didn't know, Facebook, look what I've done, everybody. I went and ministered to somebody. The Apostle Paul says, I did it with humility and in quietness. Paul is saying to the church, beloved, I did not complain, nor did I virtue signal. Virtue signal is an expression of moral opinion on a subject meant to make one look like a really good person. So in other words we want everyone to know that I did such thing for you so that you can look at me and go wow look how good they are but we know of this from another passage in the scripture do we not Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 beware of practicing your righteousness before men you know this passage don't you Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. So truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father will your Father who sees what is done uh, in secret will reward you. And he even goes on about the issue of praying in your closet. We we see this, beloved. The Pharisees were not containing their giving. They were not containing their their, their tithing, their alms. They wanted everyone to know. They were not containing their prayers. They wanted everyone to see. They wanted to virtue signal. Let everybody know, I am giving this for the people of Israel so that they so so that they could be applauded. Found to be with virtue, but we understand Proverbs chapter 27 verse 2. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. An outsider and not your own lips. And so beloved, here is another point of application. That in our self-denial for the betterment of the local church and for the glory of Christ, we are to do this with humility and with concealment. We're to do this with humility and in quietness. That if we give money to the church, then even if I endure a hardship for giving money, I must keep it quiet in order that I am not taking away the, 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 the spotlight from Christ or the church, but unto myself. I don't boast or complain. But instead, I must be humble, which is expressed in my ability to not open my mouth and let everybody know. If I do a good deed, I don't go and tell someone about the good deed unless asked. Nor do I post it on Facebook. Or in the case of the Corinthians, if I stop eating the meat, or fill in the blank, Don't let it be known. Don't let it be known. Because you're wanting your righteousness to come from from not eating the meat. You're wanting your righteousness and you're wanting your virtue. And you're wanting your your applause to come from the fact of what you did or did not do. But did we not forget verse 8 of chapter 8? But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse. If we do not eat, nor are we the better. My righteousness comes from Christ. I don't, We shouldn't need the applause of others. And so many times in church, beloved, this is exactly what we do. Is that it is far more about the event than it is about the actual serving and ministry. Isn't it? There's so many times in the church we spend more time talking about the ministry we're going to do. Designing the logo that we're going to have. Rather than just ministering. Or someone who feels led to go to the prison and minister at the prison. Or someone who feels led to go to the nursing home and minister at the nursing home. Or feels led to do something. Can't do it unless they get in the pulpit and tell the whole church what they're doing. Paul says, I endured this. And many of you never even knew it. But I did this. He said, I'm doing this as an example to you that you would know how we are to serve and how we are to deny ourselves. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this morning, if you're enduring difficulties because of spiritual convictions, maybe whatever the case may be, beloved, maybe God has laid something upon your heart. And it's different than ever. It's again, it's, it's a questionable thing. don't share our struggles that we may get applause. No, we share our struggles that we may be able to walk with encouragement by the faith family. And so if you are struggling with something, I would encourage you to do this, beloved. If you you are struggling because of a conviction or something, that you would find a faith family member who would walk with you in that, who would love with you on that, who would pray with you on that. But be very careful, church, that you practice your righteousness before men. That whatever it is that you may receive, that you think that you may receive virtue. Because according to Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of who? But in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then thirdly, I want you to see the reason. Notice Paul's reason. He says, so that. Again, let's just look at all verse 12 again. He says, Nevertheless, we did not use this right. But we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. This is where we find Paul's motivation. This is where we find his reason. The gospel is the good news. You say, well, what do we mean by good news? The good news is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that news that Christ has saved us from our sins he, had, he has paid the price, the penalty, and it is good news that you have to share. So, so we have those who are graduating. What grand news. We want we to won't know our children are graduating. You know, or maybe you had that struggle like I did where you know your wife becomes pregnant and your wife tells you, don't tell anybody, but you've already told ten people, right? It, because it's happened three times. I think I did better on the fourth one, I think. But good news, right? We're having a baby, and so you're just telling the world good news this is the good news of christ it is the news that something grand has taken place well what is the news it is that you and i have broken the law that doesn't start out so good but it starts out a little bad but the fact that we've broken god's law that you are sinful that i am sinful and that we're all under the, the judgment of god we are going to be punished for our crimes against the lord we're going to have a eternal punishment eternal prison called hell for my sins against god and that there is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that I can do. There's no resume that you can acquire. There's no task, no work that you can do to save yourself. Because, neither, because meat will not commend you to God, right? So therefore, there's nothing you can do. But God in His love... God in His goodness, God in His grace and mercy has sent Jesus Christ to come and do what you cannot do, which is keep the law, live perfectly, and then He lays His life. He lays His right not to die. Do you see the gospel there? If there was anyone who had the right not to die... To not to fall under the judgment of God. To not to fall under the wrath of God. It was Jesus Christ. But the good news is, is that Christ gave up His right. The good news is, God, He put that away. And He laid His life down as a substitute for your sin, for your punishment. Then to show his power, to show who he truly was, to show his victory in this, that on the third day he rose from the grave, calling all men and women to repent of their sins and believe upon him. That is the good news, beloved. That the one who has all rights, the one who has all free will, the one who who has all privileges and everything is his, laid it down for those who had none that they may be given all that is His and He calls you to repent of your sins this morning isn't that great news repent of your sins and come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and if you do beloved you will be saved you will be transformed I call upon you to do that this morning if you have not but for those who have embraced the gospel notice what Paul says here Paul does not want the gospel, the good news that we just talked about, to be hindered. Well, how would some of it be hindered? Well, in Paul's day, they had these uh, prosperity preachers. They had these philosophers and these, these speakers who would go around and they would, they would give philosophies and logic and they would do it for money. And So Paul knew that there in Corinth that that was, that, that was a stigma on them. And so Paul didn't want to carry that stigma. So he, so he says, I give up my right for compensation. I will, I will work harder. I will take care of myself so that no one will think that I am preaching for dishonest gain. And so here, Paul gives it all up so that the gospel message will not be ignored. Look at verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What does this mean, beloved? It means that Paul prioritized the gospel over himself. You are living in an age where everyone is screaming, my right, my right, my right. You are living in an age where everything is a right. Where everything is a right. And we have and we think that because we are here on this earth and because we are, you know, just because we're living and breathing that we have that we can lay claim to my rights. But who's fighting for the gospel? Who's fighting for the gospel? Who's marching the streets of every city for the gospel? That's what Paul is saying. Paul literally looks at the church and he says, I have every right. But at the end of the day, the gospel is more important than me and my rights. And so the the constant discussions within the church of I want my ways... I want my way, Paul says, is tiring. He says the constant struggle of eat the meat, don't eat the meat, whatever the case, fill in the blank today, is tiring and it robs the local church of time and effort that could be placed on prioritizing the gospel. Not to mention that the outsiders out here, beloved, they are watching the local church and they know what we fight over. We have drawn the stigma, beloved, of Baptist business means because we fight over the most petty things. And Paul is saying at the end of the day, beloved, we prioritize the gospel over what? Over our rights, over our privileges, over our comforts, over everything that I want to lay claim to. The gospel is more important. And so I will forsake it all. It is rubbish to me. Or maybe you're prioritizing your comforts and your pleasures over the salvation and the sanctification of others. Maybe, beloved, you come to church and you are uncomfortable or, or, or there's an inconvenience, you know, that, that, that just irks us. We have these inconveniences. Church is not done this way. It should be done that way. And we see nothing in Scripture on this. And so we, we have these inconveniences and we have these things that make us uncomfortable that really just rob us of a moment of pleasure. And yet we cannot silently endure a small moment of inconvenience that the gospel may go forth. A small moment where we don't get our way, where we don't eat the meat, so that we may prioritize ourselves over the gospel. Oh, beloved, we are called to prioritize the gospel over ourselves. Every day. And twice on Sunday. Or maybe you prioritize your freedom to participate in whatever activity, whatever questionable practices, whatever it may be. You have knowledge and you say, I am right, Brother Brian. I am right in what I'm doing. And and yet you ignore the effect that it may have on others. And you may even ignore the fact that you're constant telling everybody you have the right is, is how it affects others. Can I call on all of us this morning to prioritize the gospel to ask yourself this morning this question, beloved. Is it really worth it? Is my rights worth more than the gospel? Because the Bible tells me that I can gain the whole world and lose my soul. Or my complaints about life, about one another, about the church, is it worth it? Is it worth more than someone being saved? Is it worth more than someone being sanctified? Is it worth more than the value that comes out of this right here? The corporate gathering of the church. If the answer to your question, if you answer that question, yes, I pray that you will examine your heart today. Because, beloved, we have no rights other than the rights that God has given us through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing greater than that. I call on you to repent. Prioritize the gospel in your life. Prioritize the gospel within the church, in your family, in your work, in every aspect of life. And in that, like the Apostle Paul, We can put our money where our mouth is and we can walk the talk. Because throughout Scripture, beloved, the greatest messages that we ever find always seem to come from those individuals who self-denied or self-sacrificed. Was not the message of faith from, from Abraham a message that came from a man who denied all that he had to go into the unknown? Or what about Moses the man of, who, 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 tell, who talks about the power of God and, and the issue of God's people, his saving power, did it not come from a man who left the palace of Pharaoh to go live with his people in slavery? Or what about Ruth, who, with a message of provision, that God will provide even when I don't know he's there, leave her home to go be with her broken poor mother in law? Or what about Matthew or or John who writes these these gospels for us, right? Who, Who gives us these powerful pictures of Jesus Christ and yet Matthew who leaves behind the tax collector's booth for his livelihood or John who left behind his boat, right? And what about Christ who left heaven? I leave you with this, beloved. Someone once said, I cannot hear what you say for what can I hear what you for what you were I cannot hear what you say for listening to what you are. Are you an example like Paul, not exempt, humble, and prioritizing the gospel? Are you someone willing to make the necessary sacrifices? Are you someone who is humble and endures the difficulties of faith quietly, or are you someone who makes less makes less of themselves or and more of the gospel? If you are, praise be to God if we see you are a good example of Christianity this morning. But if we are not, then beloved, we are a bad example and we are bad witnesses. Oh, let us follow the example of those of Christ and even the example of the Apostle Paul. That the gospel may go forth and it may be heard. Let's pray.